Good morning. Welcome as we come to worship. Our opening hymn, which we will sing in a couple of minutes, is a hymn that talks about what it means to be part of God's world and to be called into God's world and to be sent into God's world. And it picks up one or two phrases that occur in one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, sometimes called the call of Isaiah, but in any case, the time when Isaiah, at a point of political instability, the likes of which Israel had not experienced for a long time, and you will get the connection, I should think, political instability, where do we look when the throne is filled on earth? And where we look is where the throne is filled in heaven. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me, I the Lord of sea and sky, we'll stand to sing.
Let us pray together. Let us come before God. Eternal God, the one whom we have come to know in Jesus Christ as Father, the God who is love and light and truth and spirit, here we are again in this place. And we gather in your name. We gather from different places in geography and in different places in our own journey in our lives. Nevertheless, we have come to be together in this place to worship you, to give thanks, to praise you for the gift of life itself and all its opportunities and possibilities. As we gather, may we know the presence of Christ, the risen Lord, amongst us, the one whom we call Lord, the one whom we try week by week, day by day, to follow faithfully, gladly, gratefully. And as we meet in the name of Jesus, so we meet too in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that we may know in our hearts and minds in our wills and in our conscience, the touch and the movement of your Spirit, renewing us, strengthening us, deepening us. As we think of the week and the weeks and the years ahead. And so while we come to worship and to offer our praise to you, we come also as people who know that we need your grace, that we need your mercy, that our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And so we pray that you will come to us together as a people and to each of us where we are in our own experience, wherever we are in our journey. And as those disillusioned disciples of long ago walked and talked and were joined by a third, so we pray that we may sense today our own experience of Emmaus, Jesus walking with us, Jesus coming in to stay with us, and our eyes being opened, that we may see him and love him more and trust him more. So, Lord, hear our prayers and grant your blessing upon each one of us in the name of Jesus. And so we say together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. to do several things and to talk about several things. One of my favorite words is the word shalom. And the word shalom is one of those words that can mean a lot of things, but everything that it means is good. So shalom can mean peace. If you can think back to when you had a really good meal and you didn't eat too much, but you ate enough to feel good, that would be quite near Shalom. If you think of someone that you've fallen out with and you wish you'd kept your mouth shut, now, hands up those of you who have never done that, who have never fallen out with anyone and wished you had kept your mouth shut. That's good, because that means you're honest people as well. The word shalom is a Hebrew word. This is a tapestry. I do tapestries, okay? So that's a tapestry, and it shows the Hebrew word shalom. 
And if you look at it closely, the Hebrew words or the letters are in brown, and behind it are colours like green and yellow, and there's a blue squiggly bit in the middle. And if you look really closely, you'll see little pieces of colour around places like that. See them? Right. Oh, and you folks should get a look as well. Okay? That's the word shalom. The background is desert. The blue squiggle is a stream or a river. And near the stream are the wee coloured bits, which are flowers. And if you read Isaiah chapter 35, that's where you'll hear about the desert blossoming. Shalom. I want you to remember that word. And as I was talking when I came in, I'm going to move the flowers. I always ask permission to move flowers in a church. And I asked Mary, and she said it was okay. So if you've got an issue, speak to Mary. (laughs) That's because this isn't a flower stand, although you can stand flowers on it. This has a lid. And the lid has a slot. Now, what do you think would be in a church? Oh, by the way, it's also got a bowl. And a lid. Uh, By the way, it's got a lock. In a church, it's got a lock. So what do you put in something that you lock? Donations. Donations. Gee, that's a good word. And donations would tend to be Money. money. Right. So we put money in here. I wonder what for. Keep that in mind. Shalom is a word about peace and kindness and not being hungry. And this, which is probably older than I am, heads nogging vigorously, was for money. Hands up if you like coffee. And I get more hands up than the other one did. What do you think is in this tin? Okay. Hands up if you think you know what's in this tin. Look at all the skeptics. <laughs> what's, what's this? I mean, this is a democracy. You're allowed to have a vote. Okay? So, if you think you know what's in here, put your hand up. I won't promise you won't be embarrassed. Hands down. What was that word again? Donations. This is a coffee tin. But it's a coffee tin that sits in my study. And every time I've got some money that rattles in my pocket, it goes in here until there's enough in it to do something worthwhile with it. So, not going to bother about the slot. Let's just do that. Where's the church treasurer? Oh, hello, Ken. (laughs) So, now we have some money here. Actually, quite a lot of money. I think there's probably about eight pounds there. I haven't counted it, but I know when it goes up to about a third, there's eight pounds. And when it's full, there's somewhere between 25 and 28 pounds. I know because I've done this. Now, does anybody have small change 
in their pockets or their purses. Any donations? Great word, that. Donations. I'm only kidding. For now. Let's go back. Shalom. Donations. A good meal where you don't feel hungry. This is going to connect up, believe it or not. Next Sunday isn't just the Sunday that you go out of this building, although you couldn't have chosen a better Sunday. It's Advent Sunday and you're going out on an adventure. And leaving behind what's familiar and known that you love, that has a history, that you've been part of for as long as you can remember, many of you. And that will be both exciting and a wee bit scary. But next Sunday when Advent starts, I want you to think about Shalom. Now, I think, hands up those who are expecting that by next Sunday they will get an Advent calendar. Oh, look, that was two hands. That was dead charismatic, that's what it was. So, if you're going to get an Advent calendar... Hands up if you hope it will be a chocolate one. Yeah. It's actually not all the children who are doing this. I'd like you to turn Advent round on its head. And instead of getting an Advent calendar that has a piece of chocolate and a reward for you. Instead you get a coffee tin. Or a jar. Or a cornflakes packet. I don't care. And during Advent, each day, make sure that when you've got some change, it goes in there. Like that. And that. That's us got about a week of Advent already. And if you do that, then you have to ask yourself, when it comes to, let's say, two or three days before Christmas, what do you do with a tin of money? Shalom. Not being hungry, Advent, what you do is if lots of people in this church do that, there will be enough money to give to one of the local homeless charities. What we do in Montrose is we give it to the food bank, and that means our Advent becomes a time of hope for us because we're sharing that hope with others. And by the way, the word hope resides also in that word shalom. Now, if you don't fancy that, there's a better idea, or at least as good an idea. You can, instead of doing this, get a big cardboard box and decide that during Advent, every time you're at the shops, you will buy something that goes in that cardboard box And that cardboard box goes either to the food bank or to the local charity. Why is this important? I'll tell you why. Because in the Bible, shalom is never selfish. It's not about, I have peace in my life. I have plenty to eat. I have warm clothes to wear. I have a house to stay in. I have lots of friends and I'm never lonely. Shalom is always shared and never selfish. And so Advent can become a time for us as a church as we go out that door 
into a new adventure where there'll be a lot of thinking about us and where we are and how we're doing, but always we will remember that as God's people, shalom is for sharing. And we will find ways to do that. And the point about this money or a cardboard box with food is simply that. It's a way, one way, of actually trying to share the word that lies at the very center of Christian faith. Next Sunday, I guess, somebody will read a passage that says, and his name will be called, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of, the Hebrew word, Prince of Shalom. That's Jesus, the one we follow. And that's what we can do in terms of shalom. No matter what age we are, no matter how much we have, we share it. The song we're going to sing is, When I Needed a Neighbor, Were You There? And that takes us a wee bit further into, again, that word shalom. Thank you. first chapter of the first letter to the Thessalonians. From Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the people of the church in Thessalonica, who belong to God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, may grace and peace 
be yours. We always thank God for you and always remember you in our prayers. For we remember before our God and our Father how you put your faith into practice, how your love made you work so hard, and how your hope in our Lord Jesus Christ is firm. Our brothers and sisters, we know that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own. For we brought the good news to you, not with words only, but also with power and the Holy Spirit and the complete conviction of its truth. You know how we lived when we were here with you. It was for your own good. You imitated us and the Lord. And even though you suffered much, you received the message with the joy that comes with the Holy Spirit. For you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only did the message about the Lord go out from you throughout Macedonia and Achaia, but the news about your faith in God has gone everywhere. There is nothing then that we need to say. All these people speak of how you received us when we visited you and how you turned away from idols to God to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son to come from heaven. His son Jesus, whom he raised from death and who rescues us from God's anger that is coming. I'm very pleased to be invited to take the service on this, the penultimate Sunday that you're in this building, and that's for a number of reasons. Those of you who've been around for a while will know that I've had a long association with the church here in Hillhead. It actually goes back to 1971, when I first preached in Hillhead, when it was in the big building, the intimidating pulpit, and the even more intimidating congregation for a student who was still in the early years of formation and who wondered what on earth he was going to make of the fact that the principal of the college was sitting in the congregation. And I hadn't even entered the college at that stage. 
Second reason for being pleased to be here this morning is when the news was given as I came in that Mrs. White had died this morning, she also is someone who goes back and actually predates 1971 in my experience because when they lived in Oakfield Avenue, Mr. and Mrs. White, my first visit to the college as I think nearly a 19-year-old The person who opened the door was Mr. White. And those of you who knew Mr. White would know that he's an intimidating man to meet for the first time. But behind him was a woman who was not the least bit intimidating, and that was Mrs. White. And ever since then, I've known and loved, actually, these two people. And Mr. White, of course, died, I think, almost 10 years ago. Uh, Mrs. White has gone to glory this morning. And so there is a a deep sense of resonance, if I may say that at a personal level, uh, just to be with you today. Now, what do you say to a congregation who are where you are and who in two weeks' time will be where you will be? And I think I want to say several things, but I want to begin by asking some questions. So why are you here this morning? Just that. Why are you in church this morning? That's not as easy a question to answer as many of us might think. There are all kinds of reasons. Now, you'd be quite entitled if this was an interactive sermon, which I'm quite happy if it's going to be, to say, Jim, that's none of your business. That's between myself and God. And I would say, yeah, you're quite right. Let's go home. Well, we're here to worship, yeah. Someone else might say, I'm here because this is where I get a kickstart for the kind of week that I'm going to have to face next week. Others might say, well, I'm here for all kinds of reasons, but I like the people. And I would miss it if I wasn't here and interacting with all the people. Somebody else might say, well, I always come and I had nothing better to do. I want to come to church because God is my friend. That works. I want to give God a peace of my mind because the way my life has been, if I come here, this is safe space where I can tell God what I think. Yeah, I get all of that. But why are you here? Why are you here at all? Why is there a church here and not somewhere else or nowhere else? And the answer to that is that people, generations before us, had a vision for a witness to Jesus Christ in this part of Glasgow and to draw together a community which would be Baptist in its thinking, Baptist in its practice, and generous in its mission. So the reason we're here at all is actually because other people took time and sacrifice and vision to make it possible. Yes. But I want to be annoyingly persistent and ask the question, yes, but why are we here now? And that takes us, believe it or not, into Thessalonians. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians anyway, is probably the first letter that Paul wrote, which we have access to. 
And I want you to listen to what he says to this young church where he was only there for a short time. Some people got converted. Life became a bit scary. Paul hived off somewhere else on advice. Then he hears that the Christians there have had a tough time and been persecuted. And so he writes. And this is what he says. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Very early on, faith, hope, and love lie at the center of what Paul wants to say to a church that's going to have to find strong foundations to build for its future. And as if that weren't enough, Paul then goes on to say something else, because it's worth actually listening to what Paul says. He's saying this about Christians then, they're true for Christians now, and the truth of this church especially where it is now. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know that we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us. The one reason that you are here today, now, is because that's what God wants. And it is about time that the church of Jesus Christ in its local expressions acknowledged that its reason for existence isn't the will of the people. It's the purpose of God. And Paul says three things in this chapter about that. And by the way, these three things are only the first point. We could be here a while. You are chosen by God. You are loved by God. And you are brothers and sisters together. So there's the first thing. Why are you here today? Because of the call of God. You are a chosen people. That's not meant to be exclusive privilege. It's inclusive invitation. You're chosen not to privilege and not to exclude, but as witnesses to the love and the grace that reaches out to the world. That's why you're here, and that's why you're here now. I better not put that watch too far away. Our story as a church, and I include myself just now with this church, our story as a church is the story of each of your lives woven together or tapestried together into an embodiment and a demonstration of the shalom of God, God's will of peace and mercy for his world. Because when we talk about words like forgiveness and reconciliation and root these in the incarnation of Christ, which we will celebrate during Advent, and in the cross of Christ, which follows And in the resurrection, these three primary pillar truths sit there as the reason why we exist at all. And whether it's here or in the Hilton Grosvenor or back here, it will still remain constantly and continuously true that we are here because God has chosen and called us to be here. And if you think of all the individual stories here, change the metaphor, think symphony. Think orchestra. Think, if you went to see it, great tapestry of Scotland. 
with so many different pictures of people's life and experience and stories. And God is making of our individual stories and of the story of this church part of the grand narrative that is the new creation story in Jesus Christ. So why are we in church today? Because we are chosen by God and because we are loved by God. Let's use some of the old words that easily get pushed to the side. We are here because of the grace of God. Because we are loved by God. Because we are blessed by the one whom we call Father. Because we are filled with the Spirit of Christ. But we're here also because it's not just about me or you. It's about us because we are brothers and sisters. Did you know that in Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Paul 21 times addresses them as brothers and sisters. He describes the family connections. And these are what give substance and sustainability to a community like this. Because the one thing that's true as I stand and just put my eyes round the congregation is this is not the congregation that was here the last time I was here for two reasons. One, new people are here and people who were here then have gone. And two, you're not the same person as you were two or three years ago. And that's because of the interaction in our lives with all the people who are part of our lives, including in this community. And one of Paul's favorite phrases that occurs again and again is one another. Just hear what Paul says to communities like Thessalonians, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, and Hillhead. Love one another. Forgive one another. Pray for one another. Bear the burdens of one another. Be devoted to one another. Do not speak against one another. Show tolerance for one another. Be kind to one another. Speak truth to one another. Build one another up. Comfort one another. Care for one another. You are chosen. You are loved. And you're called to a belonging together in Jesus Christ. So the answer to the question, so why are you here today at all, is because God has called you individually and together, to be the community of Christ here with all your individuality and uniqueness and oddness and strangeness because you are a peculiar people. And that's true of every local congregation. If you look around it, we are all individually different and bring us all together and you have the kind of kaleidoscope entirely unpredictable which is the kind of instrumentation that the Holy Spirit is a genius at working with. So we're here because of the purpose of God. Chosen, loved, brothers and sisters. And we are here in order to live out and embody our faith, to demonstrate and share God's love, and to sit together patiently waiting in hope, while at the same time working together patiently and hopefully. But there's another reason why we're here. The mission of God. So only two points to this sermon. 
The purpose of God, that's why we're here at all. The mission of God, that's why we're here at all. And why when we leave here and go to Hilton Grosvenor and come back here, there will be continuity between the history of this church, the present contemporary experience of this church, and the future journey of this church. And the mission of God is simple. One of the things I have struggled with, I guess for at least 20, 25 years, since missiology became a kind of theology, and since as evangelical denominations we have struggled and then thought we have found ways of saying the mission of God for the church today is, or how do we discover what the mission of God for the church today is? Paul's quite clear about that. The mission of the church is to live the gospel. It's to share the gospel. It's to embody the gospel. It's to declare the gospel. It's to demonstrate the gospel. Actually, the best word to describe it is we are called to become the good news, to become the gospel in the world and in the place where God has put us now. And we're to do it, amongst other things, with words. Telling of Jesus who died for the sins of the world. Telling of Jesus who rose defeating death and sin, contradicting violence and hate. Giving healing to the brokenness of the world. And that raises all kinds of questions for us today. Some of you have picked up that the Oxford English Dictionary now recognizes the phrase post-truth. We now live in a post-truth society, which raises the question, how do you live and express and speak and embody a gospel of truth in a post-truth society? I was having coffee yesterday morning with a couple of people whom we've known for a long time. They're very good friends members in Crown Terrace in Aberdeen, and we were out at Mains of Drum, and while Sheila and Audrey were talking about what Sheila and Audrey were talking about, Bob and I had a really good goal at fixing the problems of the world. And we decided there were two words that seemed to have been totally erased from the way our society works and the way politics in Western democracies is going. And now you would have your own words, but Bob and I decided his word was one, mine was another, but we reckoned they were quite close together. My word was mercy. I'm not seeing or hearing a lot of mercifulness around. His word was kindness. And when I think about the rhetoric and the use of words and political decisions... And the kinds of behaviors that we are now witnessing across wide swathes of the Western world, I do sometimes wonder what the judgment of God might look like on a society that simply not just ignores, but defies, denies, and contradicts the statement, he has shown you, men and women, what is good, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Justice, mercy, humility. Goodness, could we do with some of that in our civic life? Well, we can actually have it in our civic life, you know, if we live it. 
if this community, individually and together, becomes a community that recognizes that our priorities are different, that our way of speaking is different, that mercy is not indulgence, extravagance, unaffordable. If ever any society gets to the stage where mercy and justice are unaffordable, then the cost is too high to maintain that society because the cost will be the loss of the value of human beings. Now, Paul knew all of this. When Paul talked about the mission of God, he talked about a number of things. He talks, for example, about being imitators and models. He says, be imitators of us as we are of Christ. Now, this comes down to lifestyle and how we view the life that we have to live. You see, these early Christians in Thessalonica had been beaten up, some of them imprisoned, some of them threatened because, you know why? Because Thessalonica was one of the key model cities in the Roman Empire. And if you say Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, then you're contradicting and colliding with the power thinking of the culture around you. And that will always be what Christians are called to do. We stand at the foot of a cross. The throne is not a throne where power is enthroned, because in the midst of the throne is the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. And in the end, what we are called to be is a people of contradiction, to model that contradiction. How do we stay faithful to Jesus in a world like the one we now live in? I don't know about you, but I feel something tipped in 2016. And whatever life has been like up until 2016, it will be very different going into the next decade or so, and perhaps longer. And perhaps the question we should be asking is not how can the church survive What would be the church's mission? Perhaps the real question to ask is, what is the gospel we preach? Not only in a post-truth society, but in a society where exclusion, almost as a reaction, has become more important than inclusion. What does that mean about a gospel that says there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female and so on? And if we want to push that further, what do we do in an era of authoritarian statements right across, again, not just the Western world, but globally, more and more, what is admired is the authoritarian statement about power, the capacity, or at least the claimed capacity, to make things happen, to change things, to confront, even to destroy. Just listen to what Paul says again.
We give thanks, remembering before our God and Father, your work produced by faith. What does faith look like in today's culture? What do we believe? And I'm not talking about what is the orthodox list of things we believe. What are we prepared to entrust ourselves and our futures and our soul to in a world that's actually calling in question to whom we owe our ultimate allegiance? Jesus is Lord is a radical statement at almost every level of life, and it includes the political and the economic and the relational and the communal and the social. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love. I have no doubt there's hard work ahead for the church. This is not a society where it's easy now to talk about the importance of loving the vulnerable, strengthening the weak, caring for the widow and orphan that runs like a golden thread through the entire Old Testament. What would it mean to toil at love? That love should be something that costs and has consequences. And then there's the endurance of hope. And that's where I want to draw this together. What really matters most to you when everything else is said and done as a Christian? So what matters most? What do you hope for? Whatever stage you are at life, you ask yourself, so what has my life up until this point been about? Where does it draw its significance from? What is it that makes the life I have lived valuable or worthwhile or perhaps even noticeable? I think I've told this story here before, but I'm going to tell it again. By a country mile, the most important theologian of hope in the last 50 years is Jürgen Moltmann, whose book, Theology of Hope, was published in the 1960s, the time when the same kind of social and political and international flux was taking place. And that book was written out, he then later said in his autobiography, it was written out of the experience of being in a war in which standing one evening during a bombing raid beside a friend and colleague in the army, and he was only 19, he was left standing unscathed and his friend was obliterated by an exploding bomb. He was then a prisoner of war just down the road in Kilmarnock. He then worked in the rebuilding of roads in Ayrshire and being brought up in New Cumnock for the first 10 years of my life, I looked back hoping that maybe, just maybe, I walked on a piece of road that Jürgen Moltmann tried to build. Because he talks about being in New Cumnock and going into the houses of the miners, and not one of them mentioned the fact that he was German or an enemy. And some of them actually comforted him in his brokenness about what was being revealed as happening in Germany to the Jewish people. And out of that pain of losing his friend, of war, of prisoner of war, 
of the forgiveness and understanding of who were supposed to be the enemy and the gift of a New Testament he could never have conceived would change his life came one of the most significant thinkers in the last 50 years. Here's what he said in his autobiography. And this will bring us to the place where in our own labor of love, in our own struggles to have faith, and in our own endurance of hope, this will help us. That is why faith, wherever it develops into hope, causes not rest, but unrest. Not patience, but impatience. It does not calm the unquiet heart. But hope is itself this unquiet heart in men and women. Those who hope in Christ can no longer put up with reality as it is but begin to suffer under it, to contradict it. Peace with God means conflict with the world. For the good of the promised future stabs inexorably into the flesh of every unfulfilled present. Yeah, that's a long quotation and hard to take in. I'm happy to email it and get it into your next bulletin. Because going into Advent and going into the new world that we are going to have to cope with and live in by the grace and help of God, we are going to discover that some of the things this man said are true. And they're true because they resonate with where Paul is in his own thinking about faith and hope and love. And it may well be that the reason we are here at all is to have this new part in the purpose of God. Knowing that you are chosen and called by God, knowing that you are loved by God, and knowing that the person sitting next to you, behind you, and across from you, is, with no hint of humor at all, God's gift to this church, as you are yourself. Chosen, loved, brothers and sisters in Christ, and here to fulfill the mission of God, which is to live the life of faith and to work together hard to discover what that might look like. It means to labor and toil at what it means to love in a world that seems to have forgotten words like mercy and kindness. And it means to hope, to wait and to hope that the way things are now are not the way they always need to be. And somewhere earlier in our service we prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me read the text verse one more time. We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing together the hymn, Spirit of Love, You Move Within Creation.
And now let us bring our prayers to God for others and for ourselves. O God, our Father, we come before you now in prayer as we cast our minds across the broad landscape of our lives. We think of the extensive canvas of the whole wide world. We reflect on the great diversity of the nations, their geography, their ethnic variations, their economic systems and their circumstances, and perhaps of greatest importance, their political organisation and outlook. In the modern world, we are made aware of great variations of wealth and well-being within the nations and between them. In many countries, a small elite own most of the wealth, while the vast majority struggle for existence. In some countries, there are oppressive regimes and tribal and religious divisions bringing into Nisan strife, where many are left homeless and despairing for their very existence. Lord, we pray for peace with justice in our world. We pray for all those who seek to bring relief to the suffering, health to the diseased, and comfort to the dying. Bless the work of the relief agencies and those who seek to bring about development and renewal in war-torn lands. We are aware of the political turmoil which has affected our Western world, the impending presidential change in America, the situation related to our decision on Brexit and its many ramifications, and even the new political climate in the UK and nearer at home in our own homeland of Scotland. We sometimes feel afraid for the future, which is perhaps more uncertain at this time than for many years, and we ask for courage and trust to believe that throughout all the chances and changes of life, you are there and your loving arms will uphold us, whatever challenge we may face. May the leaders of the nation seek first, first of all the good of their people by developing and promoting structures that will bring about fair dealing in trade and fair distribution of the fruits of labour, and that internationally the richer nations may be resolved to play their part in the redistribution of wealth which has for so long been derived from those poorer lands. And now much more locally, we bring our prayers as members of this congregation that are here at Hillhead. Our life as a family of your church is about to change significantly, as in a few short days we will leave this familiar meeting place for the last time and move together to our new temporary home. Many have fond memories of this building, and it is shot through with significance for us. Some attended Sunday school and Bible class or youth groups here. Many came to faith and understanding here. Some were baptized here. Some were married here. Many lived out their adult lives worshipping here and supporting the many organizations which sought to encourage them in the faith. Many were involved with this church's witness to the community here, and even for some, they went out from here to the mission fields. And at last, and at last the many will recall the words of the benediction said at the funeral services of their loved ones held here. And so this building has a special place in all of our hearts. But today we do not mourn for something that's lost and gone. Today we look forward to the continuing life of our church as we move out soon to our temporary home. For the church was never merely a building. It is the people who gather in your name. 
And so we give thanks again for the endless blessings received here since 1883 as we look forward in confidence to your continuing grace in our lives in the days ahead. And finally, we would give thanks this morning for the life of Gwyneth White, who passed away this morning after a long life well lived to your glory. We give thanks for Gwyneth, and we hold in our prayers Glenda and all the other members of the family who mourn today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is entitled, God's Church is a School for Learning. Please note in the words that are printed, the first line is the title, the second line is the first line of the verse, so that we don't sing that first line twice, because that would confuse us. The tune you'll recognise, and we'll stand to sing this, God's Church is a School for Learning.
eternal God and Father, you create us by your power and redeem us by your love. Guide and strengthen us by your Spirit, that we may give ourselves in love and service to one another and to you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.